Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. So what do you think to my friend? And he says, well, do you really want to know? Which is never what you want to hear. Never what you want to hear. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, well, sure. So in my slides, Rob, I had quoted Tom Peters and Seth Godin and this guru and that guru. And my friend said to me, listen, I'm sitting here. You've been talking for an hour. I know what Seth Godin thinks. I know what Tom Peters thinks. I know what all of these other gurus think. I don't know what you think. You know what you did right there? You delivered a glorified book report. He called my speech a glorified book report. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D R R O B B E L L, to this number, 33. 33- Four four four. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep. It gives you Z's. So our guest today is a certified speaking professional, and he's the member of, or a member of NSA Million Dollar Speaking Group, but he is a one percenter, hence the distinct people who reach that level of significance and income. Our guest is the author of two business bestsellers. I love both the books, Do It Marketing and Do It Speaking. He's the host of one of the top business and speaking podcasts titled The Speaking Show. His mission is to build your platform, create authority, and grow your business. When he opens his mouth, people listen. He's part of the handsome bald man club, none other than David Newman. David, thanks, buddy. Thank you for that amazing introduction, Rob. We got to travel around together. This is great. Well, I should also preface it by I guess if there are people listening that have never heard of you, that is your real radio voice, man. That is my actual voice. Yes, I'm not putting it on. But some people do do come up to me and go, like, when do you turn that off? Or like, you know, does your wife ever get tired of like, no, it's this is what I got. This is nature's gift. This is what we're dealing with. Love it, brother. So help us understand, right? How many people even belong to like the NSA Million Dollar Speaking Group? There are about 110 Nice. And what, and what does that take? I mean, I know there's a, an extensive process that goes into us walking through. Yeah. That. Well, believe it or not, as far, <laughs> this is like the million dollar round table in the financial services world, right? That basically once you you pass a million dollars of revenue, uh, you're invited to join the National Speakers Association Million Dollar Speakers Group. And some people, you know, they reach the seven figures of income with 
a training company or a coaching company or a consulting company, or, uh, you know, sometimes all they do is speaking. That's more unusual at that level. It's usually a combination of speaking plus training, plus coaching, plus consulting, plus online courses, licensing, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the requirement is then you actually have to submit your taxes. So it's not like, no, trust me, Rob, I, I make a million dollars. You literally submit your taxes uh, and you show proof that you are running a seven-figure sort of enterprise-wide company, and that's how you get admitted to the Million Dollar Speakers Group. I love it, man. Now, you, you've spoken before, and again, I've, I've done your trainings. I think they're fantastic. And you've spoken before about when you were speaking, asking somebody, a friend, a trusted advisor for feedback, and they said, well, do you really want it? You're like, yeah, I mean, I really want it. And they said, look, if I wanted to hear such and such, I would have went and heard them, but I wanted to yes. hear what you, what you thought. Was that, I mean, walk us through that and how that changed in your overall speaking persona. Yes. Oh my gosh. So what? A, that's a great story. Thank you for remembering it. So this was one of my first speeches. So I'd done 10 years of corporate speaking, training, consulting as an employee for big management consulting firms, went out on my own in 2002, uh, started getting one or two little local gigs invited a friend of mine say hey come to my come to my gig and you know see let, see what you think so i do the program and the dialogue is exactly the way you remember it um i said so what do you think to my friend and he says well do you really want to know which is never what you want to hear never what you want to hear and i was like uh oh uh well sure so in my slides rob i had quoted Tom Peters and Seth Godin and this guru and that guru. And my friend said to me, listen, I'm sitting here. You've been talking for an hour. I know what Seth Godin thinks. I know what Tom Peters thinks. I know what all of these other gurus think. I don't know what you think. You know what you did right there? You delivered a glorified book report. He called my speech a glorified book report. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, ouch, painful, not good, not good. That was kind of a puke moment. That was a puking moment right there, well speaking about puke and rally. So what did I do? Well, I rallied and I, I kind of slapped my face in the slapped myself in the face with some cold water and said, okay, that's the last time that I rely, aka hide behind. I hide behind some other experts. I hide behind some other authors. I hide behind some big names to make myself look smarter. Like, look at all the books I read, Dr. Rob. It's like, no one cares about the books you've read. What they care about is what's your take on the world. What's your take on these issues? What's your experience? What's your expertise? So I started sharing my expertise not backed up by anybody other than me. So I'm putting myself out there. Maybe people won't like it. Maybe people will disagree with it. And I don't have a big, famous, successful person's name to point and go, no, no, she said that or he said that. Now it's like the David Newman show. And what does David Newman think? And what does David Newman advise? And what does David Newman recommend? The moment I started doing that, my business started to take off. Was it risky? Absolutely. Was it scary? A thousand times scarier than I ever thought, because, you know, all those things start to creep in. 
the imposter syndrome. Like, well, who am I to share my pontifications with the world, mm-hmm. right? What expertise do I really have compared to people that have been doing this for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? Well, the good news is I have now been doing it for 20 years, but but I shouldn't have waited. I shouldn't have waited until I had the credits or the letters after my name or the fancy stuff. One of the things that we teach, and I know you and I have talked about this, this previously, is go before you're ready. Go before you're ready. That doesn't mean that you're not ready. Uh, you probably are ready. The challenge is you don't think you're ready. You don't think you're ready and you're wrong. Just like I didn't think I was ready to share my original ideas, share my original thoughts, share my risky recommendations, put my personal brand and my personal reputation on the line when I start saying what I really think. And Rob, what happens if people don't like it? Even worse, what happens if people don't like me? Oh my God, you put yourself out there, not everyone's going to love you. And of course, now, fast forward 20 years later, 20 years wiser, I realize that if you don't risk turning some people off, you're never going to turn anybody on. So that risk, that perceived risk is actually the safest path forward because that's where you really start to establish your own track record, your own expertise and your own authority. Yes. So, David, and I love that story. When else throughout your speaking career did it kind of hit where, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at what I do. Well, and, and just speaking wise, I know you've always been a great coach, but I mean, just with that speaking, when, when was another moment that that really hit? Well, I guess there's there's really two kinds of moments. There's the kind of moment I'm sure you've had, I've had, we've all had in, in some area of our life. Uh, where you just finish some sort of, you finish a game, you finish a sport, you finish a speech, you finish a, a piece of writing, and you look at it and you're like, wow, I just totally nailed it. It just feels great. It feels awesome. It feels incredible. And you know, you hit it. Um, sometimes I would go out and I would do a speech or do a program and I would come home and my wife would say, honey, how did it go? Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't nail it. It was like a B, B minus. And the, and this has been a consistent pattern throughout my entire career. It's A, A plus, A plus, 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 ooh, B minus. And then another couple of A's and then, ooh, it's a C plus. And then A, A, A plus, A five pluses. Oh my God, best speech I ever gave, B Right. So I think we have to have the humility to understand not every outing is going to be an Olympic caliber outing. Not every run is going to be a record breaker. Not every athletic performance, mental performance, physical performance, personal performance is going to be your best work 1000% of the time. So I've started to kind of reset and say, okay, I am here to do the best that I possibly can for this audience, in this moment, on this day. And if that ends up being a B plus or a B or a B minus, so be it. It was the best I could do. I emptied the tank. I delivered what I had in my heart, in my brain, whatever. I think a true champion understands that, yes, there's a certainly a huge element of consistency to excellent performance, but that doesn't mean that every single performance is always going to be excellent. And I think the real bravery in your business, in my business, 
is how quickly can you recover? How quickly can you rally? No matter, you could be a world champion at what you do. You are going to screw up something, sometime, some competition, some big critical moment. How quickly and how, how much do you embrace that rallying moment where you get right back on the horse, you get right back in front of that audience, you get right back on the field of play, and you do it even better the next time. And you don't let those occasional puke moments, those occasional setbacks define who you are and go, oh, Rob, I suck. I, I gave one speech and I just totally didn't hit it and I couldn't get my slides to work and I had some other, I was distracted. And okay, the next time you do an A+, plus because that's what a professional does. A right. professional knows how to rally. A professional knows how to get back in the game. So in... In the granular sense, I can look back at my same speaking career, and I'm not on the level you are, but I'm the same exact way, man. I was like, I nailed it. The energy was awesome. And you can just feel it, right? Because I can go out there, prep, not whatsoever, and still give you know a B. But I don't want to give a B. I want to give the best performance I've ever given. What do you think is that common theme when you go out there and it just doesn't hit the way that you want? What, what have you discovered in terms of, you know, whether it's audience preparation, I mean, just the, the jokes at the right time? What have you found? You know, I, it's so funny. That's a great, great question. It's a profound question. I think it really depends on the chemistry. It really depends on the moment. It depends on your mood and your expectation Right. One of the things that we're very big on teaching and preaching is positive expectation without attachment to the outcome. The moment that we get attached that this has to be a home run, this has to be the best speech of the year, this has to be amazing. We put this sort of external spectator on our shoulder and this little self-critical, self-judging voice that is never helpful. Whereas when I look back on the really best performances and the best speeches, and the best coaching sessions and the best everything that we've ever done, it was this, this sense of being in the moment and having all the energy and all the focus in the right direction and not being attached to any specific outcome. So it's like you want to, you know, this is like if you're in a competition, right? And some as well, I'm competing against Larry and I'm competing against Susan and I'm competing against whatever. You know what? The only person that Rob really needs to compete against is Rob. The only person David really needs to compete against is David. So the moment that we have this internal focus that I am here to do the very best job that I can in this moment, on this day, for this group, on this field of play, and let everything else melt away, you're much more likely to be in the zone. You're much more likely to get rid of that inner critic, that voice of judgment that's going to be wagging his finger at you. And when you free yourself up from all of those restrictions and all of those constrictions, that's when the best performances tend to flow. It's when, when you are unattached to the outcome and you just love the game. Because I've used that many times, man, highest of expectations with no attachment to the outcome because it's so profound. And that I think that's the mental game in a, in a nutshell right there. Yeah. Um, as we talk about hinge moments, that, that one moment, one person, one event that makes all the difference in our lives. So it connects like who we are with who we become. I know you have plenty, but what's one that you can share with us? Well, 
I would say that probably uh, during this pandemic that we're now emerging from, uh, that was a real crystallizing moment for many people, personally, professionally, maybe for your health, maybe for who knows what, you know, financial. Uh, So I would say March of 2020, um, everything in our world evaporated like overnight, you know, so, so you, you talk to these entrepreneurs, you talk to these big successful people. And sometimes the question is, if everything was taken from you, how would you rebuild? How would you restart? It's like, well, pretty much everything was taken from us in March mm-hmm. of 2020 or everything business-wise, fortunately, uh, not health-wise, not, not, you know, um, no one, we didn't lose anyone that we loved in March of 2020. Anyway, um, that moment when I realized, okay, the old business has just gone to zero. It's just how it is. That's a statement of fact, not what I wanted, not what I was planning on. What can we do to serve the people that we've wanted to serve, but in a completely different way? And I remember this was very specific, Rob. It was March 16th of 2020. We were about to send our next promotion for our next webinar on the next day, which was March 17th. And the webinar was at the end of the month. And I was looking at it and going, you know what? Our people don't need this anymore. It it was about speaking. It was about events. It was about whatever. Like, you know, that world just evaporated and we have to face the music. We have to listen. We have to listen to what our people are going through. We have to be in tune with the present moment. So we kept the webinar on the books, but we changed the tagline. And the tagline, I even forget what it used to be. The new tagline was how to take your business online now, because everything that we were doing was about having an offline business. We had been teaching this online component since 2017, so it wasn't new. We weren't winging it or making it up, but we decided to put that front and center. So long story short, March 17th, the next day, this first email goes out, how to take your business online now. We filled the webinar. The webinar was a huge hit. Uh, We helped a lot of people in our program called High Fee Mastery, which was all about how to take your business online now. So we could have sat here crying in our milk, going, oh my gosh, what happened to the meetings industry? What happened to the speaking industry? What happened to all of our clients who used to be making $10,000, $20,000 keynoting and speaking all over the world? Uh, Gosh, I guess we're out of business. We're not out of business, but when those people's calendars started to evaporate, we got into massive intelligent action saying, how can we help our community? How can we help our tribe of followers and fans and subscribers and prospects and clients? It was taking their offline business and moving it online. And that was just the beginning of the pivot because between March and June of 2020, we had to reconfigure everything in our business. Mm -hmm. So even though we are running a seven-figure business and we were running a seven-figure business at that time, everything that was bringing in revenue went to zero and we had to reinvent a new six-figure per month profit center between March and June of 2020. And we did that by some profound listening, by some profound caring for our community Uh, by really deeply understanding what they were going through and what they needed and wanted for the next phase and the next chapter of their business. So I sometimes ask entrepreneurs three questions. 
Number one, what business are you in? Number two, what business are you really in? Number three, what business do your clients need you to be in? And question one, question two were blown out of the water. So we focused like a crazy person on question number three. What business did our clients need us to be in, to be the life raft, to be the, the rescuer, to be the bridge into this new, this new era of uncertainty and everything turning upside down, kind of COVID crazy town. Um, so that was that was a huge hinge moment, probably the biggest in my 20 years of entrepreneurship, where literally every dial went down to zero. And we had to bring every dial back up to 100 within a 90-day period. Mm. And it was humbling, and it was challenging, and it was a team effort. It wasn't just me. It was our whole team here at Do It Marketing. Um, And it was a profound, profound wake-up call that we are here not to sell to our clients. We are here to serve our clients. And it doesn't matter what business we're in. It doesn't matter what business we think we're in. All that matters is what business do our clients need us to be in. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. You interview so many experts uh, from all different fields and from your guess and then if your personal experience, what have you seen, you know, from the entrepreneurs, the business owners, the speakers, what have you seen in terms of that grit, that tenacity, that mental toughness that helped those overcome what happened last year and, and is still happening? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm not sure if the word overcome is appropriate. I'm not sure anyone overcame it. What we did is we worked around it, we innovated, we strategized, we dug tunnels below it, we threw rope over the top of it, we circumnavigated it, right? So we we got over it, under it, through it in some creative sort of way. I think what really separates, I know that you teach this and you preach this in all of your programs and it's so vitally important. When you hit an obstacle, you do not change the goal, you change the path. You do not change what you want to do, where you want to go, where you want to end up. Do you have to recalculate? Do you have to re-navigate? Do you have to go back to sort of your compass and your GPS and say, okay, how do I get there now? Right? We've had a whole bunch of obstacles, a whole bunch of uncertainty, a whole bunch of landmines thrown right in front of us. Um, and we're getting, we're getting sideswiped and blindsided and everything is literally, you know, gr- the gravitational pull has turned 180 degrees. And if we're not careful, we'll be sucked up into the ceiling. That's the image I had of March and April and May of 2020. So what can we do to get resourceful? What can we do to get creative? What can we do to re-navigate the path? Do not change the goal. Do not lower the goal. Don't, well, maybe I'll compete next year. Maybe I'll win the championship. Maybe I should just go back and do more training. Maybe I should go back and get a coaching job instead of, no, 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 no. You're still going. You're still going. The the way that you get there has changed. The, The path may have gotten longer. The path may have gotten more treacherous. But what does that mean? That means that you need resourcefulness. You need some additional guidance. Maybe you need a mentor. You need a Sherpa. You need a better roadmap, a better compass, a better GPS. You need to upgrade your skill set. 
need to upgrade your tool set and you will get there and you must get there, but we're getting there on a different course and we're getting there on a different path. So to answer your question, I think that the the success DNA, if there is any such thing as success Mm -hmm. DNA, it's a combination of resilience, flexibility, and resourcefulness, right? Resilience to bounce back, puke and rally, in your words. Uh, Resourcefulness is how do I marshal all of the assets, the resources, the people, the strategies, the experiences that I have at my disposal that I might not have thought of tapping into, or I might be too proud to ask for help, which is bad, right? I might be too proud to ask for coaching, which is bad. And then, and then just purely, you know, how creative can you be? How can you throw your hat over the fence, not really quite know how you're getting over the fence, but you find some rope, you find a ladder, you find some way of climbing over there because you've already thrown your hat over the fence. Now it's up to you to go get that hat. And that kind of mindset I think those three things are the building blocks of a successful entrepreneurial business is the the resilience, the resourcefulness and the creativity. I mean, well stated, man, well stated, because it's about finding a way. And I believe that champions adjust and even a little play on words, which you're fantastic at champions. Finding a way when there is no way. Right. That's the real key, right? Finding a way when there is no way. And so what about the flip side of that coin? What about have you seen from those that struggle when faced with that major adversity? And it doesn't have to be COVID or the pandemic, but when they're really faced with that major obstacle, what what do you think hinders them from their success and still finding a way when there is no way? I think when people are people are overly attached to what they're familiar with or overly attached to what they're comfortable with. And they're not willing to let go. They're not willing to, um, there's a sense of self-soothing delusion sometimes that, you know, and certainly with with anything, let's say it's a personal injury, personal injury, well, I'm not going to go to rehab. I'm not going to work all that hard. You know, this will just pass. This will just fade. And it never just passes. It never just fades. You need to get your butt to rehab. You need to get your butt to therapy. You need to rebuild. You need to rebuild stronger and better and faster and smarter. So anytime that we think any sort of problem is going to fix itself and we can just stay hunkered down, we can just stay in that self-soothing delusion or denial. Um, that is never a place of strength. That is never a place of winning. So the place of strength and the place of winning is extreme agility and extreme flexibility. And I, I don't mean physically I mean, agility in your thinking, agility in your resourcefulness, uh, flexibility in your approach, understanding there's many paths up the mountain and the path that you were on may not have been the best path to begin with. So I'll give you another example just from the meetings industry. Uh, One of my clients is, is one of the thought leaders in kind of this digital events, online experiences. And I said, well, you know, there's this magic of the hallway. When you go to a live event or a live meeting or a live conference, you just run into people in the hallway and you're like, hey, how's it going? And I asked her, I said, what's the digital equivalent of that? And she started shaking her head no. And she said, David, why in the world would you want to take a suboptimal in-person experience and digitize it? And the way she said it is, if I happen to be leaving the ladies room 
and I accidentally bump into you in the hallway. What's so special about that? As opposed to what, what we can now do in the digital online world is structured, proactive matchmaking networking in small groups, one-on-one, large groups, facilitated uh, across all sorts of different dimensions, all sorts of different calculations can go into this. What kind of business is Robin? What kind of business is David in? What, what are some overlaps? What did they say in their profile that might be, you know, so we can now intentionally meet each other, the right people in the right way in a structured networking event as part of a larger digital conference. And we don't need to worry about randomly running into people as we're leaving the men's room or randomly bumping into people as we're leaving the women's room. And that question about why would I want to digitize a suboptimal in-person experience, perfect example of letting go. It's like, well, why don't we let that go and substitute in something more intentional, more proactive, more useful, and more consistent. People are like, oh, but I miss the hallway. No, you miss getting lucky in the hallway. You miss bumping into the right person once in a while that is like, oh my God, I'm so glad we met. Well, imagine if you had 10 of those, oh my God, I'm so glad we met. If you had 10 of those experiences, not by accident, but on purpose. And that was a big wake-up call when, when she said that to me. It's like, why would we digitize a suboptimal in-person experience New world gives us so many more opportunities to do it better, smarter, and more consistently. So you got to let go. You got to let go of the old and embrace the possibilities of the new. And the new might even be better, faster, smarter, and cooler. You know, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I'm getting so much out of it. And, and you you talked about this many times. If somebody comes to you, if somebody comes to your team, you're going to feed them. I mean, you're going to feed them a happy meal if that's what they want. They want the happy meal. Hey, here we go. But you want them for the, the, I mean, the five course meal, man, the steak, you know, the salad, the, the great dinner. So, I mean, I always appreciate that you sharing that. Let me ask you this question. I mean, being the soothsayer and the clairvoyant David that you are, where do you see, uh, you know, business and life shifting and turning? Where do you see it moving? Well, you know, I, I wish and thank you for those kind words. I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to, to claim my crystal ball quite yet. Uh, I think we're emerging into a world that is uh, almost by definition more resourceful, more flexible, more agile, where people understand that work doesn't have to happen in an office. Uh, training does not have to happen in person. Um, that, that, you know, there are lots and lots of ways, you know, school doesn't have to happen in a school. Um, and it's, it's a world where these norms, these kind of the normal quote unquote, normal way that we used to do things, there may be better ways. And certainly some things are absolutely better in person. No question. I am not one of these people like, oh, screw in person. We're never going back to anything in person ever again. And good riddance. That's far from what I'm saying. But I'm saying, are there other ways? Are there different ways? Are there additional ways? So instead of thinking either or, I think we're entering a world of yes and. So yes, and school happens in school and school happens at home. Yes, and people can gather in person and have amazing virtual experiences that would supplement and complement the in-person experiences. Um, so, you know, I think we used to live in a world where 
hey, something is happening. Uh, it's either digital or it's in person. Something is happening. It's either you know in the Chicago office or it's in the Orlando office. Hey, we're having this competition and the competition's happening in Las Vegas or it's happening in uh, Nashville. It's like, no, you know what? There can be, it's a yes and world. We're entering a world of yes and, choose both, uh, choose the best of both, have people participate in the way that they want to participate, have, have a spectrum of options, right? We kind of left this black and white world mm-hmm. and we're now in this, in this spectrum where it's like there's so many different shades and gradations of what we can do together uh, in business and personal and professional and academic and athletic and sports and everything, you know, theater, arts, culture, all of these things have been transformed. Uh, I think we're now living in not only a yes and world, but maybe even a, a you know, best of everything, right? Some things are absolutely best. Best of class happens in person. Other things are best of class happens online or virtual or at a distance or on a phone or on social media or wherever. Uh, and there's all these new collaboration tools also that, uh, you know, way beyond just Zoom and video conferencing and so forth, where people can do things that were literally either impossible or highly impractical in the real world. So imagine that you have a thousand people on a large corporate work team and they want to share a whiteboard. Well, number one, good luck doing that in the physical world. In the digital world, you can have a digital whiteboard or a digital, you know, poster board where a thousand people are contributing their best ideas. And, you know, you can archive that, you can share that, you can distribute that, you can publish that lots and lots of different ways. Are we saying those thousand people should not be gathering in person? Absolutely not. Maybe those thousand people gather in person and before they've done the digital collaboration and after the in-person event, they're doing more different digital collaboration and the entire event gets richer and more meaningful and more powerful. That's what I mean by yes and. Yeah, because I always think it's coming back to that shared experience, whatever that shared experience is, right? Whether it is in person or it's over that whiteboard and that education, that learning piece. Right. David, what... um you know, personal branding. And you talk about personal branding, celebrities and experts kind of share this common theme. Can you elaborate on that? Because I always think that's another gem that you have. Sure. So, you know, you think about, you think about um, celebrities, like, you know, pick your favorite celebrity, Oprah, whomever, David Newman. Uh, or, or, or David Newman. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you pick your, your favorite, you know, rock star, whomever, you know, Tony Robbins or, you know, any kind of personal brand, Beyonce, whatever, right? Um, They gather communities around their work. They gather communities around their art. They gather communities around their movement that they're building in the world. Um, If you look at, you know, Oprah or Tony Robbins or Beyonce, or again, name, name your favorite celebrity, name your favorite rock star, your favorite uh, expert. Um, They build a community that is welcoming and that fosters belonging through a lot of different people and a lot of different methods and a lot of different media. Uh, If you look at how they commercialize their expertise Their products and services and programs are often bought. They do not need to be sold. Oprah is never going to hard sell you 
on the Oprah book club, right? Tony Robbins is never going to hard sell you on coming to one of his uh, virtual events. So there's a sense of invitation. There's a sense of kind of inward uh, inward magnetism that their entire commercialization strategy, the way they make money, the way they monetize their audience is based on pull. It's not based on push. It's not based on striving and forcing and wanting to be liked. It's really based on filtering and sorting. So rather than persuade and convince, oh my God, you got to work with Rob Bell. Rob is so amazing. Rob is so awesome. Have you seen Rob's client results? Holy smokes. Rob is the greatest thing, right? Rob says, listen, here's who it's for. Here's who it's not for. And your job is not to sell anything. Your job is to filter and sort. Filter and sort the people who are connecting with you and who you're connecting with. I always tell thought leading experts like you and me, I say, you know, we are, we are not in the persuading and convincing and chasing business. Uh, we are like Harvard, Sta Harvard, Yale, and Stanford is that we work by invitation. There's an application process to work with us that there is, there's a fit. There's a fit and a no fit process that we go through so that when we're talking to a potential prospect, we are qualifying them just as much as they're qualifying us. In fact, we may be qualifying them a little bit more so to make sure, do I want to work with this person? Can I do my best work with this person? Does this person match the criteria that I've set for my business? Not that we're coming in arrogant, not that we're coming in better than anybody else, but we are coming in with a filtering and sorting mentality that I know who I do my best work with. And I want to make sure that you're one of them. And if you are one of them, I will invite you in. And if you're not one of them, I will point you in some other direction and give you some resources and send you on your way. Because the last thing that we want to do and the last thing that anybody like an Oprah or a Beyonce or a Tony Robbins would do is force someone to listen to their music or force someone to listen to their, their show or force someone to come to one of their events. That's not the business that they're in. They've, even as we say this out loud, Rob, that's a ridiculous concept that somebody would be like, oh, I'm, I'm forced to go to a Beyonce concert. God, I'm going to hate that. Right. It, that's not it's a we need to find the audience that is already listening, already tuned in, already knows that they have something that they want to fix or solve or achieve. And we are the easy pass. We are the fast path to that outcome, that result, or that achievement. So if they see you as the person that can get them there, shorten the path, accelerate the speed to get to an outcome they already want. It's a green light from you. It's a green light from them. That's how we get people into our world. And that's the best way to get people into our world because those people will love the result. They will repeat, they will refer, they will recommend like crazy. That's the definition of an ideal client or an ideal prospect is someone who gets it, they need it, they want it, they're already on the path, they're already an asset in motion, and you simply help, help them get there faster, safer, and smarter. Cheers for that. I have one more question, David. Yeah. What questions should I be asking that I'm not asking? I would ask about my hair products, Ooh, frankly. I mean, new how does it look this good all the time? I don't know. You lose most of your hair. Whatever's left 
is going to look great. Uh, and that's, of course, a wise guy answered. And we covered so much. I don't think there's anything that we left out. I mean, this was uh, and I have to hand it to you, Rob. You've asked me questions that I have never, ever uh, been asked on an interview. So I think we got some some extra extra marketing juice, some extra sales philosophy, life philosophy in this interview. And I, I appreciate that hugely. Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, I know I could ask the standard questions. You could just hit play on on the answers. But I mean, what attracted me to you was, you know, your heart and your soul and, you know, the fact that you can help people and you do help people. And I mean, I like to to pull that out of people, that that mental toughness, that grit, that resiliency, that being able to adjust. Um, where would you want people to uh, and again, we'll post the links, but where do you where do you want people to find more about you and and, uh, and to follow you? Sure. So there's a couple of free resources that people can grab. One is our Do It Marketing Manifesto. And that is a 37-page PDF that is part marketing and part sales and part revenue growth. That's at doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. And then we also have some free web training. And that is at doitmarketing.com slash webinar. So both of those resources, absolutely free. And uh, please help yourself to those. I hope they're helpful. And we'll post those links. David, thank you so much, man, for joining us, brother. I really appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure, Rob. Always great to be here with you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.